This is episode 127 of the Landscape Photography Show, and in this episode, it's just me. And I think, overall, there's a, a, a trend in life where things happen, and you kind of have to adjust where your energy is going. That's kind of where I'm at right now with a lot of the projects that I have going on, a lot of the uh, content that I make i.e. the podcast, YouTube videos, uh, contracting videos, doing different conferences and things like that. So with a lot going on, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but I am only working two days a week. Um, So producing all of this content while also trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle and also trying to maintain the projects that I enjoy the most and magnifying those as to what takes up the majority of my work days in those two out of seven days during the week. It's just a lot to reorganize and I've come up with a schedule now that helps me to reorganize things in a way that makes sense for me, makes sense for the people who are consuming the content, i.e. you, and also uh, keeps me sane, we'll say. (laughs) So it's been, um, I've been on this schedule now for several months, um, and it's just, it's not sustainable. So trying to move into a more sustainable workflow while the summer wraps up and we kick into the new school year. And the only reason I'm working two days a week is because the other days of the week, my wife works and I keep my daughter those days. So I am on dad duty those days. So a lot is going on. And and when the school year starts, my daughter will be starting uh, preschool as well for another two days during the week. So free up a little bit more time for me, a little bit more time for my family, and should be able to go back to weekly content and create a new schedule. So everything just ebbs and flows. I That's a shout out to TJ Thorne, by the way, uh, into what we have going on in our lives and what's going on in the photography world as well. And also what is going on in the mental stability of everybody trying to do their thing in landscape photography. And I completely empathize with everybody trying to make it, trying to whether you're just trying to earn a little bit of money on the side or whether it's your full-time job or if you just like it and you're trying to find time to go do it, I completely empathize with you on that because the shooting uh, is far, few and far between right now. <clears throat> so what we have today, I just wanted to do kind of like a trend wrap up. What's going on with photography right now, what I've been seeing in the market, and what I've been noticing in trends that are happening and that I believe will continue to happen, whether you take that as a positive or negative, that's up to you. But these are the things that are happening right now, not only in the creativity of landscape photography and trends that I see from talking to a lot of photographers, but also in the business side of selling photography and making a little bit of income off of that as well. So kind of this episode is split into two different parts. 
Uh, number one, let's go with the creativity side of landscape photography. And coming off of just a very busy spring, being able to meet a lot of photographers in person for the first time, uh, a lot of photographers that I had already met and that we spent more time together, both teaching together and being together in locations, was an amazing experience for me in the spring. And going to these conferences and teaching in conferences, the uh, Outsiders Conference in Kanab, Utah, and teaching in, out of Chicago, both on their live sessions and in person at out of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I noticed a lot that was going on, not only between the instructors that were there with me, most of which have been on this podcast before, and all of the attendees that were there too. I noticed that there was a lot less emphasis on growth in your online persona, personality, platforms, your accounts. There was a lot less emphasis on that and a lot more emphasis on going out and photographing what makes you happy as a photographer. And that is a great positive in my mind. Um, you know, we're seeing the evolution of social media platforms run its course. And I think a lot of these social media platforms have gotten away from who they are or who they were when they first came out and kind of trying to eat the others up um, and use up the, the features and some of the some of the content that's being created on the others. You know, if that's getting a lot of buzz, another one will come in and be like, hey, we added this feature too. Come use it on our platform. I'm seeing a lot of that happen. Let's take, for example, TikTok that came out, um, featured very quickly edited 60 second max video content that you could easily scroll through and get lost throughout that. We now see that on Instagram with Reels. Um, we see that on even YouTube, going with YouTube Shorts is the exact same thing as TikTok content. So we're seeing a lot of it kind of play together. It'll be interesting to see how those play out and who wins that battle. Um, but that is a great thing for landscape photographers. It's also a bad thing for landscape photographers. Let's get to the good thing first. The good part about it is that people are much less interested in how many followers you have now versus two, three years ago because people are much more into what makes them happy as a photographer and they're much less interested in how do I get this amount of people to follow me just so I can show them this content. And I think a lot when, when um, likes were said that they were going to stop posting likes and stop having that number beside the heart or the thumbs up yet to be seen on a lot of platforms, but that announcement has been made. I think that started this trend of, you know what, the popularity contest is going to come to an end and the audience that you have now is going to be predominantly the audience that you have and they are going to support you for the content and the photos that you create. 
I'm seeing it a lot come out with people who love the small intimate scene. And I'm seeing a lot of people jump to that genre and that category of landscape or nature photography because I feel like the the reduction of likes and the reduction of emphasis on numerical value associated with an account um, leads to, okay, if I'm not photographing for something that gets me the likes, I'm going to move to something that truly makes me happy. So we're starting to see a lot of photographers come out of the woodworks who said, hey, I like this style of photography a lot more than big, wide-angle, bright, saturated, big foreground, mid-ground, background shot. Um, Whether that is your style or not, we're seeing a lot of people move that way with their activity online and on social media. And I'm not saying that that is the right way to do things. I'm not saying that the big wide scenes are the wrong way to shoot. I'm saying that I'm seeing by watching what people are doing, and that makes up a lot of what I do, not only to get people onto the show, but also watching what trends are happening online and on social media, I'm seeing a lot of people move in that direction. And I think that's awesome because we need to be very self-aware as landscape photographers of what does make us happy because the number one way to burn out and the number one way to be unappreciative of your creativity as a photographer is doing what makes somebody else happy. And I think if you could take away anything from this entire episode, I would hope that you would take away that because I've been through it. I know a lot of other people have been through it. When you try to make this your business or you try to grow your audience or make some income off of it, it is all about or it was all about how many people are following you, how many likes do you get. And seeing the trend go in the opposite direction is not only a little bit surprising, but much welcomed in a way. Now let's get to why is the short content video bad for a lot of photographers. And I, I, I struggle to use the word bad because I... I don't feel this way, but I know a lot of my colleagues feel this way, and I know a lot of people who are into photography feel this way too, is that they don't like doing video and they feel very uncomfortable in front of a camera. I've been doing videos for several years now and feel very comfortable in front of a camera and can say that, yeah, the beginning stages were extremely uncomfortable and awkward, but doing it for a long time I can now just hit go, talk about what I'm doing, here's this, here's that, here's the photo, bing, bang, boom, YouTube video. Um, But a lot of people aren't into that and don't want to do that. So it could be a bit of an initial reaction, this is bad for me. But on the flip side, I also think it's very unique for a lot of us because it provides new opportunities to think differently about what we are creating and I think it opens a lot more doors to telling a story with what you're creating as well. You don't have to be on camera to do any of this. You don't have to be uh, this 
you know, hyper, high energy, high activity person to be in front of a camera and talk about the photography, talk about the shot, talk about what you think, talk about the emotion behind it. You don't have to do any of that. You can just share some quick behind the scenes clips and drop that in. Or you could just do exactly what you're doing now and just share photos. And that's awesome. What I'm saying about all of this is I think it's amazing that we are coming to a point where these platforms reward you for what you enjoy doing rather than playing to their game. And I think we're going to start to see a lot of that come to fruition over the next few years. This is a long process of adopting this ideology, Um, but I do believe that we're going to start to see that on a lot of these platforms. Could I be wrong? Sure. Uh, But that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. Are the accounts that have hundreds of thousands of followers really getting into those um, high monetary deals? Absolutely. But at the same time, we're seeing a lot more people say, you know what? I'm tired of chasing that. I don't really care. And I think that's awesome. That's self-awareness. That's knowing who you are as a person and what you want to chase uh, to make you happy instead of everybody else happy. Again, take that away from this episode. Not only seeing a lot of photographers in person and spending time with them, but a lot of the participants in these conferences are so enamored with what they see as a photographer. And that was a real breath of fresh air because I've been teaching for a long time and that wasn't always the case. People used to want, you know, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people would used to want you to set up the camera for them. Is this a good shot? Great. Can you edit it for me? Uh, can, can I post this online and, you know, where is it going to get attention? Where is it going to get attraction? That is a very dangerous game to play. What I've seen in the last couple of years is if I take somebody out in the field with me or if I'm talking with somebody about their photography, what's amazing is the response. If I'm, if I'm giving my opinion on photography, the, the most rewarding thing for me to hear is somebody say, yeah, but that's not what I want to do. And it sounds counterintuitive because, you know, we, we like for people to agree with us. But what I'm saying is I love for people to come back to me and say, that's not my style. This is what I like to do. And that's been the thing this year that's made me more happy than anything as a landscape photographer is hearing that response more and more taking people out and saying, well, here's how I would set up this shot. Here's what I'm seeing. And them saying, well, I don't really see it that way. Here, here's what I'm seeing. I, I love that rebuttal. And it's, it's forced me to change up my teaching technique, which I'm extremely happy to do, and ask more questions to the person and say, what do you like about this? What are you seeing? What makes this 
scenes stand out to you? What makes you enjoy this composition? What detracts from it? Uh, how could you make it better? And all those questions help somebody rewire on how they see a landscape and it speaks to how they want to shoot it as well. So that for me has been the most rewarding thing out of anything that I've experienced the last two years is seeing that come up more and more. And I'm seeing a lot with abstract photography, intimate scenes. I mean, I remember going to just this random tree in the Smoky Mountains uh, overhanging this creek and it had all this moss growing on it. And it was just this scraggly tree with some interesting triangular designs in it. And I went to shoot it. Just a real quick snapshot. Hey, here it is. Light wasn't great. Probably will never use the photo. But when we got to the end location, everybody got out of the car and said, can we save some time to go back to that tree? Because we thought it was really cool looking. Rather than what's the big scene here that we can get? Uh, what's the banger shot? Whatever. I, I'm excited about that energy coming out of landscape photography versus any other energy right now. So changing gears a little bit, another trend that I'm continually seeing come up is whether you like them or not, NFTs continue to boom. And especially in the photography sector and that market, um, we have not really seen a major slowdown in that going on. So let's go back to last summer, the summer of 2021, um, JPEG gold rush, as some people are calling it. And there was a boom, a gold rush for JPEGs. Uh, there was a big photography boom that happened, especially with collections and several photographers did really well. And, and a lot of people said, well, this is just gonna come and go within a month or two. And it's still around. I think whether you like them or not, um, they aren't going anywhere. And if you follow the trend of what has happened in the past with technology, it's something new comes out. People says it's a trend or it's a fad or it will go away pretty soon. And these continue to stick around. And I think with NFTs specifically, we aren't really seeing it come to fruition yet, especially with photography right now. What has continued to happen is people have created these photography NFTs with just collectibles in mind and, and following an artist. And I think that's fantastic. But what's happening with these is sales are slowing down because production of these is slowing down because people have minted their best work, created their best work and sold their best work. And now they're saying, now what? How can I be more creative about this? Um, and it has, number one, not slowed down. Number two, it's created a much more mindful market about what photographers want to do with their NFTs on the blockchain. Um, and if you don't know what these are, what the blockchain is, uh, there are several YouTube videos you can go watch. Uh, you can follow my Instagram account where I'm going to start um, educating on what the blockchain is via other platforms, just sharing what they've created uh, that are helpful resources for that. 
and has created a mindful market of how can photographers thrive in this rather than it going to absolute zero and going out in, in a few years time and just giving way to the same old stuff we've seen with internet. Um, I think w with this in mind, collectors for a specific artist, a specific photographer is fantastic, but we're starting to see people take a much more long-term approach to this and stop following fads within the NFT market. So people are starting to say, okay, I have this collector base or I have this idea. How do I make this last for a decade instead of just a few months? And that has created a, a much more mindful market of where all of this is going. We're starting to see less and less of the astronomical one-time big dollar sales on a photograph. And we're starting to see uh, a steady stream of more likely income from this over a long-term effect. And that can go in several different directions. It's just up to whoever's creating these collections or NFTs. It's up to them to decide what they want to do with it and, and how they want to market their work. But, but long-term, we're seeing it stick around. And we're starting to see the actions of photographers within that market change to reflect that mindset as well. Um, now, future options for the blockchain, there are several in this. N number one, like I said, we've started to see a lot of collectors flock to specific photographers and kind of back them as their collector base. And what I'm interested to see is how do these collections create utility within the collection for the people who collect? And if you're unfamiliar with what utility is, it's like, what do you get by owning this piece of work? And you can have no utility with your work. You can have something really cool with it. But in terms of what an NFT is kind of created for is basically a, a pass to something, a pass to a community, a pass to an in real life event, a pass to, let's say in photography terms, a workshop, a convention, um, a, a, a community with the same mindset about what you want to do with resources that come with that. So we're starting to, to get into what utility is offered with that and maybe there's a long-term utility that can be included with that as well. Workshops, like I said, conventions, there are a lot of things that you can think about and, and probably a lot more than I haven't even thought about myself. Um, and, and we're starting to see not only photographers include this, some, but starting to see a lot of other artists include this in their work too. Um, and I think in terms of what that means for people who want to own these pieces of work, it means that they're looking to be long-term investors in a specific person. And that bodes very well for photographers. Also, what we could start seeing within this as corporations start to jump in, especially let's just take um, REI, for example. 
if REI decided to jump in with outdoor clothing um, and, and, you know, camping gear and, and outdoor gear, what you could see from that is say, hey, REI is selling 10,000 NFTs partnered with X artist to provide the artwork for those NFTs. And this is going to be, you know, a $120 NFT per year. And with it, you get membership access to REI. Uh, who knows, it might be cheaper than that if they decide to do something like that. But royalties go to the artist. So instead of hey, this is your one-time payment, probably in quote or in parentheses here, probably an undervalued rate for a photographer, close parentheses. We're going to see royalties come in on every single one of those sales. And that can be negotiated out to, let's say, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent on every single one, probably split between the corporation and the artist. But you could see some of that coming in. So you could see like, United Airlines, you buy this NFT and it is provided to whoever owns it, they get this amount off flights or this many free flights per year. And we're partnering with X artists from Ukraine to provide the artwork and donations go to that person or that nonprofit that they support. So there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. And this is probably several years down the road. Um, but it is probably something that's going to happen. And honestly, something that has already been happening with some of the corporations that have jumped in, i.e. Nike uh, and other clothing brands into the NFT marketplace as well. And if you're coming at this saying, okay, why on earth would I, as an environmentally conscious person, want to invest in a cryptocurrency like Ethereum? Um, we're already starting to hear Ethereum 2.0 start to come out, which is much more green, significantly more green than Ethereum right now. And that's always been in the roadmap for Ethereum. It's just that technology has started to kick off now and becoming more realistic now than it was when it first came out in about 2015-ish. So when you start to think about, okay, what is the future of NFTs and how can I mindfully approach this? If you're an environmentally conscious person, you might wait until that ETH 2.0 comes out and see what the green effects on that are and then be able to jump in on it and say, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable with the carbon output that that creates. And I don't know what that is yet, but that information will come out when it's created. Uh, and how can I create my art on the blockchain using this new technology? Other platforms are creating more energy efficient ways to mint NFTs. Uh, Sloika is one of those. So there are a lot of different ways coming out of creating a more energy efficient blockchain rather than something that just dumps tons of carbon into the atmosphere. So these aren't going away. It's a trend that I continue to see. 
it's a trend that you'll start to see on social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, a lot of the platforms that we use as photographers to market our work, you'll be seeing more about NFTs and the blockchain on those. So I just want to cover these trends that are starting to happen in the photography industry and in the realm of photography, both for hobbyists, people who just like taking photos, all the way to people who listen, who do this for a full-time income or part-time. So just being aware of all this, I think, is really helpful, not only to give you motivation to shoot what you want to shoot, like we talked about in the first half, but then how do you take that and either monetize it or create a collector foundation for your work to build interests around you? And you may be saying, okay, I'm just a hobbyist. I don't care about this NFT platform. I don't care about the blockchain. Well, you could create a free NFT that people mint that is one of your photos that gives them access to like your YouTube channel that you make or something like that. And, you know, again, few years down the road, but YouTube has been one of the prominent platforms that has said we want to get in on the NFT game and we want creators to have the ability to earn income off of that and off of their work. Uh, we've heard the CEO of YouTube talk about that several times. So watch that play coming in too. Since so many photographers are on YouTube, uh, that would be a great play coming into it as well. So things to be aware of, trends to watch, and thank you guys so much for sticking around with the podcast. We'll come back next episode with another photographer and another amazing interview.